Some businesses in the Rochester area officially reopening this morning, two months after the coronavirus pandemic forced a statewide pause. Governor Andrew Cuomo says the Finger Lakes region will begin a phased reopening on Friday. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced today the Southern Tier and the Finger Lakes are two of the regions that meet all seven metrics in order to reopen with only some logistics to work through before initiating phase one on Friday. It's an exciting new phase. We're all anxious to get back to work. Uh, we want to do it smartly. We want to do it intelligently, but we want to do it. And uh, that's what this week is going to be all about. For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. New York State has been on pause for more than two months due to the coronavirus pandemic. But now we are at a turning point as parts of the state begin to reopen. Five regions of the state have reopened over the past several days, with more expected to join this week. One of the first regions to reopen was the nine-county Rochester-Finger Lakes region, which lifted restrictions on some businesses and some recreational activities as of May 15th. The region was among those that met the seven key goals set by the state qualifying to reopen in phase one. The standards that had to be met have to do with regional COVID-19 caseloads and deaths, hospital capacity and equipment, and coronavirus testing and contact tracing. As part of the reopening process, the governor created regional control rooms made up of elected officials, community and business leaders, and representatives of labor. In the Rochester Finger Lakes region, labor's representative is Dan Maloney, president of the Rochester Labor Council and Rochester and Genesee Valley Area Labor Federation. Dan's also president of United Auto Workers Local 1097, and Dan's joining me on the podcast to talk about the reopening process in his region. Dan, welcome to the Union Strong Podcast. Hey, good morning. So, Dan, can you start by explaining to our listeners who it is that you represent in organized labor in the Rochester Finger Lakes region? Sure. We have... uh... Just shy of 100,000 folks in an 11-county region that's from uh, stretches from Lake Ontario down to the Pennsylvania border, um, pretty much uh, west of Syracuse, east of Buffalo, and um, and they're in all sectors. Okay. So public, private, construction, manufacturing, and uh, you know th- those folks obviously had a lot of concerns about this uh, both ways. Right, the New York on pause and the restarting mm-hmm. uh, businesses here in this region. So we've been getting a lot of phone calls, uh, and again, both ways. So, so when your region was among the first able to reopen, why? Because you had lower COVID cases to begin with. Yeah, we do. So compare, you know, in the state compared to New York City, downstate Long Island, um, there's a lot denser populations, mm-hmm. and so. The COVID-19 pandemic hit down there a whole lot harder than it hit hit upstate. So, again, it, it has to do with the density of population. Um, so because we had a little more elbow room, a little more breathing space, uh, it didn't run quite as hard upstate as it did downstate. And But with that, um, because New York was hit so hard so early and the governor took some pretty good, I thought, reasonable measures, to uh, put New York on pause to get people mandatorily uh, shut down, socially distanced, um, wearing masks, et cetera. Um, that it kind of, as they speak about, flatten the curve. We didn't want to overwhelm 
the healthcare system, and it has worked. It's been in effect, and we watch the metrics that we're looking for, um, less new cases, less death, um, open space in our hospitals upstate, which is one of the criteria, open ICU um, capacity to treat patients if this were to respike. And uh, because all the arrows are pointing the right way, the metrics are going well for us. It was, it seemed prudent and safe to go ahead and reopen phase one. It's a four phase uh, deal. And part of phase one is some of the infrastructure construction work that is necessary. The weather's changing and, you know, you got to strike why the iron's hot in upstate New York. It's a long, harsh winter. And so we need to get in those new water systems, electronics and communications, bridges and road work that has to be done. We need to do it during these summer months. So it was certainly prudent. And I work in manufacturing. Uh, my day job, I'm president of the United Auto Workers. We represent 835 folks over at the GM plant in Rochester, New York, building automotive components. We are an amalgamated unit. So we do have over a thousand members. We have a bus building uh, manufacturing plant in Penyan, New York, also in the Finger Lakes region as well. Were both of those plants, they were shut down during the, when we were on pause then? They were, and they didn't have to be. Both plants are considered part of the essential uh, manufacturing. Again, folks have to, uh, the bus lines have to keep running. Uh, cars and vehicles that are broke down, somebody's not going to get to the hospital, you know, ambulance, cop cars, mm -hmm. they need brakes, they need fuel injectors when things go bad. And uh, that's what we build. So we were part of the essential workforce, pretty much the same as um, just doing a different job, obviously, not to compare apples and oranges, mm -hmm. but cops and firefighters, doctors and nurses that had to keep working. Uh, we did too. Obviously, if America stopped rolling, um, people were going to die. So they needed those auto parts as well. So, how did, so we kept that supply going. How did people feel about that being there? Did they feel, you know, was it like a sense of pride? We have to do this or were they cautious? Were they fearful? Like, what was that like? So, yeah, in the United Auto Workers world, uh, going into that, um, there was a couple of deaths in plants in Michigan. Uh, one in Chrysler for sure. And I thought there was a case at Ford. Don't quote me on that. But uh, and so our workers had a lot of concerns as this was ramping up. And again, it was the uh, kind of the top. Uh, the spike was, you know, still climbing up uphill. Mm -hmm. And so our our members were very concerned. So they're um, blowing up the phone lines, writing a lot of emails. And uh, so we're getting that information up to our international leadership. Rory Gamble's our president. So he took that all into account, got the international executive board together and started meeting with the heads of what we call the big three or the American three auto manufacturing firms. It's uh, Fiat, Chrysler, Ford and General Motors. Mm -hmm. And he asked them to just take a break, give us some breathing room until we can catch up with PPE to keep our workers safe. So we're able to negotiate on a national level to shut down the American three after we put supply uh, for those critical parts into the system. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the brakes, the fuel injectors, uh, the emission controls, everything that we build to keep those cars rolling. So we built up a supply and we were able to shut down. And during that shutdown, 
Um, we, of course, uh, started building some of the PPE ourselves. Right. General Motors is making a whole lot of masks. They are making ventilators in the Kokomo, Indiana plant um, for the national supply of those uh, ventilators that are critical uh, to getting folks well that have been diagnosed and have uh, contracted this COVID-19. Um, in Rochester, we had available clean room space. And so I put the request out um, to the, par the powers that be that we also could build ventilators at the same time Kokomo did. And Senator Chuck Schumer, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, and our congressman in this area, Joe Morelli, actually put out a joint letter to the CEO of General Motors, Mary Barra, let her know we have capacity, we could build ventilators right in Rochester. But again, they, uh, they went, it's larger in Kokomo, they had more open, uh, empty square footage in their clean room. Mm -hmm. So they, they decided to build there, which is fine. Right. Made in America. And uh, so we're happy to help in that regards. So you then you really knew um, firsthand being a union leader, being a worker, being there um, when you uh, first weren't shut down and what needed to be done to go ahead and reopen safely. So then you're on this regional control room. You're a part of this regional control room. So what did you bring to the table as priorities for workers when you were, you know, in those crazy couple of days right before last Friday when you're saying, okay, here we go. Look, this is what needs to be in place. What were you saying? Sure. Obviously putting the safety of workers uh, foremost, right? First and foremost. So uh, PPE is a big concern and it has been. Uh, you can't reopen again all those metrics we talked about. The new case uh, rate has dropped. Uh, deaths dropped. The um, uh, testing kits are available and uh, the hospital beds are open, the ICU space, all those metrics had to be met. But then also for folks to go back in safely, following all the CDC, the World Health Organization, OSHA guidelines, and in, in the case of my General Motors plant that I go into every morning, uh, the UAW jointly negotiated UAW General Motors health and safety standards which are typically expand CDC and OSHA guidelines. So we had to make sure that there's enough masks mm -hmm. per person, enough hand, uh, hand sanitizer and stations throughout the plant, uh, the temperature scanning devices, and then answer all the questions. Who's trained on it? Are they accurate? Is this a good uh, measure? Um, and then the personal workspace disinfecting. They hired three more full-time janitors in our plant, and that's all they're doing is sanitizing common touch spaces, doorknobs, light switches, and they installed um, motion sensors. So no one even has to touch a light switch. Oh, really? We've looked at, yes, what doors are not necessary for uh, fire prevention and spread that we can prop open so nobody has to touch those doorknobs. And we've done that. We've gone through the plant. We made sure jointly before any one person came back to work that the um, process was safe, robust, and um, we feel and we know you're a lot safer going to work now in our General Motors facility than you would be going to a big box store or a grocery store. 
So or no, your, you know, your pharmacy so for that matter. I'm just wondering that knowing that, I mean, it sounds like GM stepped up and, and you've been able to work together and it sounds, you know, safe and it's going well so far. But as a person, as a part of this control room, how, how, like, well, how do you get everybody else on board? How do you work with businesses to make sure that others are going to take this as serious and to put these protocols in place? Like, is that happening there in your region? Yeah, and that's that's what the control room's job is. We actually monitor. So we're going to monitor and make sure there's not an uptick or a spike in uh, in those metrics we talked about. No, we're going to make sure that there's not a whole lot of new cases coming on board and the death rate keeps continues to go down. And uh, as we continue to clean this up and make people safe, if it doesn't, we recommend to the governor that he goes ahead and closes those businesses back up. So that's really our function is to monitor and report. And uh, there's really not a whole lot of authority there. But uh, the governor's put these in place throughout the state, these control rooms. And for our Finger Lakes region, um, we definitely uh, and it's it's a group of business folks, uh, government, elected officials and agency heads. Mm -hmm. And I'm the only guy from labor in this region on that control room board. And I'm not shy, so <laughs> obviously we see the metrics go the wrong way. I'm, I'm in a loudly voice that we shut it back down. But to date, we're still doing the right things. Well, I'm really glad. We're all glad that you're there, Dan. So then there is a, a, a way to address workers' concerns if they feel unsafe. I mean, it sounds like mainly you've just got to get the word out to let people know if they're in another business and they feel unsafe. They've got to let you guys know so you can pass that along. That's the Absolutely. process. Yeah. And we've been on, on daily phone calls, um, again, to keep, keep ourselves safe. They have the Zoom meetings, call in, and, uh, and tell you the, the truth, it's been really um, an open and honest kind of a venture so far. I know a lot of these businesses were chomping at the bit to get back online. And, uh, you know, at every step, we kept making sure that all those safety protocols were in place. Mm -hmm. The hand sanitizing, the mask, the temperature check, the disinfecting, and all those things were in place before we decided to go ahead and give the recommendation for a green light to reopen. And so, so then what's the, um, with the phase two, it's other things that will be able to open, other types of businesses. Sure. Like, can you just explain that yeah. and how far away is something like that for your region? Yeah, and, and they've recommended that we at least get uh, two, three weeks minimum in between phases, and there's four phases to be reopened, two, three weeks of data before you move, feel safe enough to recommend moving to the next phase. Uh, next phase, barber shops and, you know, the beauty salons people have been really complaining about and uh, some of the professional services, um, you know, the dental hygienist office, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And speaking of which... I did get an interesting email from a dental hygienist. Her concern was that when they start doing work on a patient in a, a dentist office, you aerosolize, uh, put into the air all these different microbes, viruses, germs, and bacteria, mm -hmm. and they can stay in the air from a half hour to is up to two hours was her claim. Mm -hmm. And so she's recommending the HEPA filters, the UV light filters in air handling systems in all these doctor and dentist offices, 
before they come on, online. Oh, that's interesting. You know, And so I've made that recommendation, pushed her email up the chain of command. Well, that's great. The process is working then because that's something that only someone in that industry would, you know, probably be thinking about, right? And and Absolutely. It makes me wonder if that's like if that's going to be a temporary thing like we're in the flu season and so all of that goes into place and then if it passes, do they back off or is this just going to be a total change of how we operate in our daily lives? Sure. I'm thinking it's going to have to be uh, a way that we change uh, going forward permanently, especially mm-hmm. in that, that type of situation. And then further, she had concerns about PPE, you know, a full hood, a mask, respirator for those folks, the dentist and the hygienist, um, but also a way to contain that aerosolized uh, bacteria, viruses and germs into uh, the rooms like different uh, the plastic. Do you ever see them sheets they have that uh, you have to walk through to get into like a freezer? Yeah. Clear plastic. Yep. So that type of thing in the doorway to help limit airflow between mm. rooms, as well as uh, there's some dental devices I've never heard of, not working in the industry, but she was up on. Uh, so I made those recommendations. And then the, uh, you know, the whole uh, zoot suit for her with the booties and the gloves and, wow. you know, stuff you can throw out at the end of the day. Mm. So you don't bring that stuff home, put it in your car, et cetera. Well, that's so, all really good advice, see? And then, yeah. so it's almost like you guys are the test case, you know, your region, along with a couple others that have opened to see, to come up with well, suggestions like this and to make sure, sure everybody else does spear. it right. <laughs> tip of the spear. Uh, we want to lead the charge with some real good advice more than a test case. Right? Okay. Well, well, yeah. well thought out, uh, well, uh, with data, uh, data to back it up. And, um, so we're going to do this and do it right, obviously. And, and again, I, I'm the voice of the worker here in this region. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to bring those concerns forward that maybe folks are afraid to bring to their employer or even a government agency. So I'm, I'm happy to do it. What is the plan? So say you're in phase two, and, and maybe this is too soon to ask this, but even in phase one, if all of a sudden, God forbid, things started going the wrong way, like what is the, so if you were in phase two and all of a sudden you see these cases, positive cases increase or deaths increase, is do you have to go back to total on pause? Do you go back to phase one? Like, has that yeah, been discussed? Just, Yep. And it would just be rolling back the phases. Okay. Sure. Got it. Okay. Exactly. So phase two, right? People are in there. And, you know, it kind of makes sense. If I'm, you can socially distance at a, a beauty salon and a barber shop, right? Call ahead, make your appointment. You're one on one. The beautician, the stylist, the barber can wear a mask, right? Mm-hmm. And same thing sterilize everything that they're using, sterilize the seats in between customers. Um, and, you know, that's that's actually um, a business that's been expanding is folks that make those uh, hand sanitizers. Mm-hmm. Here we had uh, Black Button Distillery in Rochester, New York, and they converted over, I think, Ledestri Foods from making uh, alcohol to making uh, alcohol hand sanitation. Mm-hmm. Right. So actually, some of these uh, businesses ended up like a little uptick in hiring. And again, it's a domestic supply chain and it's local. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it helps our safety as well as the economy. So so those kind of things. But obviously, if we see the metrics going the wrong way, we can roll back a phase and then let that, that data kind of sink in for a couple, two, three weeks and see if the arrows start going the right way again. And then 
lessons learned, what do we have to change to right. keep people safe? Mm-hmm. We'll implement those changes and then maybe uh, move forward again. So can you give us an overall feel of what it's like? I mean, do you walk around and see a different attitude in people? Are people cautious? Are they feeling good and optimistic? What is the feeling? Um, so I was out for eight weeks myself on unemployment. And during that time period, myself and our, our recording secretary, we kept the hall open. And we just came to work every day. And the doors are locked. We have to buzz people in so we can maintain social distancing here. We've disinfected the hall. But people had problems getting signed up for unemployment. Some people, their computer didn't work, didn't have a computer at home, whatever the case might be. Our retirees still had questions on benefits. So we were here to answer questions for them throughout this um, period of unemployment. And now it's nine weeks. Some of our folks are just like third shift won't come on until next Monday. Um, so some folks were chomping at the bit to come back to work. Some people are very fearful and don't want to come back. And so we've had to negotiate that with management. We'll get into that in a minute, but as well as, um, they have, uh, production numbers, right? They want to make certain rates and quotas and, you know, make a certain amount of parts. Mm -hmm. And we told them they're going to have to relax their standards, their production standards, And we've asked our uh, plant management to put their supervisors through empathy training on this issue. There's a lot of folks coming back to work that have fears. They have small children at home. They may have mom or grandma living with them, right? An elderly relative. Mm -hmm. And they have legitimate fears. And if they need to step away from the line and, you know, go see our medical department or our EAP counselor, you better let them do that quickly and mm-hmm. without any kind of threats or intimidation. We don't want to get into it. So we've had those discussions up front and our local management uh, saw the light and they're implementing those things, a kind, kinder, gentler restart. And um, then as far as if people have fears, they can take a leave of absence. So in New York state, they can have paid family medical leave act if they're eligible caring for a child, a sick relative, a spouse, parent, uh, federal, F, uh, federal uh, leave act as well. Um, we also have some people have some vacation time left. You can use that up. Mm-hmm. And all those things, if they don't come into play for you, we've allowed them to take an unpaid leave. The company's not willing to pay folks when work is available for them, but they're not for anyone that wants out, they have an out. And uh, so 30 day unpaid leave to be reviewed 30 days at a time. And some folks they'll even grant uh, 60 or 90 days. Uh, We were able to negotiate. Normally your health benefits end at the end of the month that you leave, you take off on a leave. So now if people were to take off, uh, you know, this week, next week, we've negotiated the month after the month for those health care benefits to continue. Mm -hmm dental and medical for the family. So if it was a school issue, for example, anyone wants to take a leave, stay home with their kids through the end of June, they're able to do that now and continue their health care coverage for their family. Well, all those things that you've pointed out, I'll guarantee you anybody listening who's not a member of a union is certainly wishing that they were at this point because there's so many things that um, 
that, that you can benefit from, from belonging to a union. I mean, just rattled off a bunch uh, having to do with safety and having a voice and, you know, negotiating to make sure things are done right. Absolutely. It's, it's all so important. I've worked both non-union and union, mm-hmm. and by far, mm-hmm. you could never catch me in a non-union shop again. Well, no, ever. not once you see how things should be. So let's hope it, that it more people truly, realize that. Yeah, truly night and day. Much better in a union shop by far. And then, so not just the pay but and benefits, but like you said, the voice and the yeah. dignity on the job. Well, Dan Maloney, president of the Rochester Labor Council and Rochester and Genesee Valley Area Labor Federation, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast. We're very fortunate, particularly the folks in your region are very fortunate to have you on this control room. So keep up that good work, and I hope you continue to stay healthy and safe. All right, Darcy, thank you, and you be well and stay safe also. All right, take care, Dan. Joining me on the line now is our digital director and editor of the program, Kevin Einsman. Kevin, how you doing? Very good, Darcy. Good to hear from you. So Dan had a, um, boy, what a great voice to have for workers. A lot of information on what they're doing out in the um, Rochester and Finger Lakes region uh, as they open. And, you know, we're going to be here before you know it here in the capital region where we are. Absolutely. We heard on a conference call this morning uh, from the rest of our area labor federations mm-hmm. and and many of them on the control boards and they were talking about all the good work. It's great that we have so many labor voices out there fighting for workers on these boards. Right. So there's someone from labor on all the boards. So that's that's great. And um, so we have our own recovery plan that we want people to know about some of our priorities. Can you let folks know how they can learn more about that? Yep. NYSAFLCIO.org slash do better. Uh, we have our six point plan up there and we'll be releasing some uh, ads and some other talking points uh, to make sure that as we come out of this recovery, we we do better by workers and we really try to improve uh, the way that we deal with frontline workers and everybody else in New York State. And there's so much information on that website, too. People uh, want to check it out, just having to do with COVID, you know, how to get tested, where to get tested, what are your rights, workers' compensation, all that stuff is right there in one location. So, well, Kevin, uh, you sound good. Uh, stay healthy, and um, hopefully uh, we can get some more folks listening to the podcast by, by people giving us a rating. It uh, makes people aware that we're out there. We'd appreciate that for sure. Absolutely. All right, you take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State Union strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.